Father, thanks for your love for us, your care for us, your pursuit of us. I pray you would help us this morning, give us clear minds to understand what you want us to understand. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to be transformed into your likeness. As we look at this letter from Paul to the church, as he is encouraging, almost begging the people to understand what it means to be mature in you. Help us see that um, this morning. I pray that you would meet us as only you can. We ask that you would do it. We pray it in your name. Amen. So for the past decade or so, mental health experts have been noticing something that's been a trend, not just in our culture, but across the world. That's somewhat new. They haven't really had to deal with this before. Um, And in 2014, they gave it a name. They labeled it just to kind of give traction to to what they were seeing, uh, specifically in young adults. And so they came out with something called Entitled Dependence Syndrome. Entitled Dependence Syndrome. You may have not heard that term, but you probably know what it means if you've been paying attention to culture at all in the last decade. And how they would define it is this idea of young adults that are not leaving home and they're remaining dependent on their parents. And not just dependent on their parents, but they feel entitled to stay at home and be dependent on their parents. And again, this isn't just something happening in America, but this is happening all over the globe, which is why mental health experts are going, we haven't seen something like this before. In Italy, they have different names in in, in all these different countries. And we kind of use the term failure to launch in our country. Uh, but in Italy, they use this phrase, uh, bambo sioni, which translates big baby. <laughs> That's what that means. Uh, in Germany, they say if you're one of these folks with entitled dependent syndrome, y- you live at hotel mama. That's what they say. Uh, Australia, they call them boomerang children. Uh, and then this one's my favorite. In Japan, uh, they say parasito shinguru, which means, translates, single parasite, which (laughs) feels a little heavy, um, but maybe accurate, right? We have this character too of like, you know, the, the, the guy that lives in his basement with his mom and plays video games all day and doesn't get dressed and those types of things. Um, this is a new phenomenon. And as experts are looking at the research, they're going, why is this happening? We haven't seen this happen in culture, uh, really ever. Like, why is this such a trend? And what they're finding is what happens is these young adults they have a very specific expectation of what they want to launch into. So whether it's a career or whether it's a type of schooling or whether it's even a spouse, they're going, no, I only want this thing, otherwise I'm not gonna step out. And so they stay in with their parents and their parents aren't sure what to do with it and going like, well, they're not stepping out and I don't know what to do with it. And because they want this exact thing, it leads to kind of this analysis paralysis for the young adult. They just freeze and they just stay at home. And again, in this syndrome, it it produces this entitlement inside of them. Like, parents, you didn't give me what I needed or it's not out there, so you, you need to keep feeding me, you need to keep paying my rent, you need to keep doing the things that I want you to do. And that leads to like 28 year olds, 38 year olds living at home and they haven't learned how to function as an adult. They haven't learned the necessary tools of what it means to grow into adulthood because they've just been at home. Now, let me caveat this um, because there is good support for parents, right? If you 
move back in with your parents for a season, that's okay. There can be good things to that. If your parents want to help pay for college, that's okay. You don't have the means for that. That's not what this syndrome was talking about. There are good ways that parents can help their kids. But this specific syndrome is the kids aren't showing any effort to move forward. They're just sucking their parents dry and their parents don't know what to do and they have the kind of this entitlement mentality of like you you have to keep doing everything I want you to do that's a problem in our culture I don't know if you've seen it and parenting is hard it's hard to know that balance of what does it look like to love your kid and kind of kick them out of the nest and let them fall and you want to help them and so uh, I'm not saying this is easy I'm saying this is a trend across cultures and we need to be aware of it just like the term entitled dependence syndrome is true for some of you, our young adults, when um, we look at the landscape of Christianity in our culture, sometimes I wonder if we've um, slowly uh, morphed into this entitled dependence spirituality. And here's what I mean by this. Because of our culture consumeristically, if we have a conversation um, not just me, but anybody in the church or maybe even in your small group. And uh, we press into some areas of growth and maturity that we're seeing and we're going, hey, you should be aware of this and you don't like it because you feel entitled. You just go, well, I'm, I'm out. I'm not going to listen to you. I'll go to the church next door. They'll definitely welcome me in because that's what churches should do is welcome people in. And We've led to this kind of entitlement spirituality that has halted our maturity at a lot of levels in our country and in our culture when it comes to our faith. And what we're going to see here in this letter that Paul is addressing the church in Colossae, he's saying, listen, I want you to grow in maturity. Like this is actually the goal of all of Christian life, that you come born again, you start as an infant, but you don't stay as an infant and every parent in here would want, every good parent would want their kids to mature. Even how hard it is. You don't want your kid to be a baby forever. You want them to get out of the diapers. You want them to be able to feed themselves. You want them to be able to do the things of what it means to be human. Every parent, even as hard as that is in certain seasons, would say, this is what I want for my child. And Paul is doing the exact same thing here. As what he's been doing in the letter, as we've been covering, he kind of has this triumphant tone at the very beginning in chapter one, right? He's talking about how he's praying for them, how they're found in Christ and they can do it and all these things. And then last week we looked at how Jesus is preeminent. He's supreme. He is everything and he is in you. And then he turns the corner right now at the beginning of the body of his letter and he uses a different tone. Starts talking about his struggle so he's talking about maturity because what he is about to do is he's about to give some correction to this church. To go, you didn't live like this anymore. Now that you're in Christ, you need to do this. And he's building the case of credibility to say, you need to listen to me because I love you. I'm not trying to fix you for fixing sake. It's because I love you. And I want you to understand what it means to be mature in Christ. So what we're going to look today at the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, I want us to walk through six marks of maturity because that really is the thrust of what Paul is going after here, to present the Colossian church as mature in Christ, six marks of maturity for us to look at each other and go, how are we doing? How are we doing as a church when it comes to walking in maturity? Or are we just 
backsliding into the culture and saying, no, we're just kind of Christian teenagers or even infants. What does that look like for us to grow into maturity? And so if you have a Bible, it's already open, open it up to Colossians chapter one. There's some Bibles if you need one, whether you open it digitally or paper, you can follow along. We're going to start in verse 24 of chapter 1. We're just going to kind of walk through the text collectively, making notes, and then I'll kind of point out these six different spots of what it looks like to live into maturity that Paul is suggesting for us. So Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given for me to you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Let's stop there for a minute. Let's unpack this because even verse 24, if you're reading it at face value and you know the Bible, it should do something to you. You should go, wait a second, what does he mean? Right, look at verse 24 again. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Paul is in prison. That's what he's getting to. And he's been suffering for the sake of the gospel. He's been beat. He's been uh, almost killed. He's been in prison. All these things for the sake of the gospel. And then he says, in my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. If you read that at face value, you go, what is he suggesting? That like what Christ did on the cross isn't enough? that I have to add to it because of my suffering, kind of this Jesus plus mentality. And even we just finished the Gospel of John and we looked at Jesus on the cross as he says, it is finished, like his work has done the work. You don't have to add anything to it. So what does Paul mean here? It's important for us to realize this even as we move towards maturity. John Piper has a helpful um, quote that I think is worth reading in the midst of kind of this confusion. Look at what he says. He says, Paul's sufferings complete Christ's affliction, not by adding anything to their worth, but by extending them to the people they were meant to save. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is not that they were deficient in worth, as though they could not sufficiently cover the sins of all who believe. What is lacking is the infinite value of Christ's afflictions is not known and trusted in the world. So the afflictions of Christ are lacking in the sense that they are not seen and known and loved among the nations. They must be carried by the ministers of the word. And those ministers of the word complete or fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ by extending them to others. And so again, it's saying, it's not saying that what Christ has done is not uh, forgiven us for our sins once and for all. What it's saying is like, because this is true and Christ is now gone and he sends his church, what's lacking is for us to go out and tell people and tell people about what he's done and how you can have life in him. Jesus doesn't do that anymore because he's gone and he sends his spirit for the church to do it. So the first mark of maturity that we see from Paul is living missionally, is living missionally. This is what Paul is saying. Is like, listen, I am living on mission, suffering to live on mission so that people would know who Christ is. And that is your job as Christians to tell other people about Jesus. Now, there's all types of ways to do that incorrectly by shaming and yelling and things that like, that's, that's not what he means, but you will experience resistance 
of gently loving people towards Jesus. You will. That is guaranteed. Jesus tells us that. He tells his followers that. We just went through that in the Gospel of John. So there's this suffering element of living missionally, and this is what we're called to in our maturity. That's the first thing. Let's keep going. Verse 25, let's look back at that again. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that I was given me for you to make the word of God fully known. The second mark of Christian maturity is learning the word, right? Paul is saying, like, I'm suffering for your sake so that I can present the, the word fully known to you. And so we have to ask ourselves as we move towards maturity out of adolescence or even infancy in Jesus going, like, are we learning the Bible? Like, are we learning this story? And so many conversations I have with folks that are struggling, that claim Christianity, they claim Christ, they, they claim that what Jesus did for them, they, they need to obey him and follow him, and then they're frustrated at their situation, and I start having the conversation, like, what does your time in the word look like? And they go, well, like, I listen to it when I come on Sunday, and that's about it. And I go, okay. Okay. What I'm doing here in the next 35 minutes will not feed you how you need to be fed if you are trying to grow and mature, right? Reading this book is not about checking a box, and I understand that there's parts of this book, man, they're hard to get through. They're confusing to get through. It's written in a lot of different contexts. It doesn't always make sense, but you need to sit down and get in it. This is what it means to move towards maturity. Are you sitting? Are you creating space to go, God, I need you to speak to me today through your word? We have to be people. If we're going to be people that mature in Christ, grow into Christ, understand what it means to be in Christ, we have to be in the Bible. We have to be reading the Bible all the time. And some of us in our culture, we just think we don't need to read the Bible and that we're just going to grow into maturity, somehow morph into it. And I'm telling you, you need to find time to sit in this book. Let it soak in your soul. We want to help come alongside you. Maybe you're going like, I just don't know where to start. I don't know how to do that. Come find us. Come talk to us. We want to walk alongside you. Even some classes we're talking about doing in the fall are what does it actually look like to be in this book? How do we make sense of it? Don't get discouraged. Continue to come back to the Bible. This is a mark of maturity. And Paul is saying, I'm suffering on your sake to present God's word fully known to you. Let's continue, verse 26. What else does Paul say? Uh, well, let's go back to 20, 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to make the word full of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but revealed to his saints. Paul uses this language of mystery. What does he mean here? He's, he's actually drafting on something that's happening culturally, and we're gonna get to it even next week in our text specifically. But we think of mystery, when we hear that word, we kind of think of like, who done it? We're trying to figure it out. What does it mean? Um, as he's using it in the culture, even religiously in the culture, what was happening in the day, and again, we'll see some details of how this plays out in the, the rest of the chapter in chapter two. It was like this kind of secret society of knowing God. Like if you had the right words, if you were in the right club, and it wasn't for everybody, it was kind of a mystery, it was kind of secret, and so when you got to step into those things, then you were truly enlightened, and what Paul is doing is saying, listen, 
that's not Christianity. Especially saying, man, it's been hidden in the past. This mystery was hidden in the Old Testament. Now it's been revealed in the person and the work of Jesus. And what he is saying is once you understand Jesus, that unlocks the clue of every else part of the, the, the whole Bible. It starts to make sense. You start to see it clearly. I was up at a, a, a retreat this last weekend uh, at the, the tail end of the weekend on Sunday uh, with a bunch of the lead team uh, pastors from Redemption, which I'm just so thankful to have a space uh, to go away. And we prayed and we laughed and we had conversations and shared our hearts with one another. Um, at the end of the retreat, we're getting up, packing up and getting ready to leave. And Tyler Johnson, who's the overall pastor of All Redemption, we're sharing a room. It's like, you know, four beds in a room. It's kind of a bunk situation. And he's looking for his massage tool, right? Like he does on his back. And so he's got a bad back. And so this is really helpful for him. And he can't find it anywhere. And we all saw it earlier on his bed that, that day. And he's going, has anybody seen, has anybody seen my massage tool? Like I really can't find it anywhere. And so we're kind of looking under the couches and kind of in the different spaces. And my bed was over here and Tyler's bed was over there kind of by the door. And so I happened to be by my bed and I just got down on my hands and knees and I looked and his, his massage tool is right there under his bed. Like clear as day. I was like, Tyler, it's right here. Well, I walked around to where he looked at his side of the bed and I bent down and I looked under the thing and you could not see it. Because of the way the light was coming in in the shadow, it's right in front of you and it, you, like it made sense. He couldn't find it. So that's what Paul is saying, what happens in Jesus. In the Old Testament, it's kind of veiled, it's hidden, it doesn't make sense. But now when Jesus comes and what he does and what he says and what he does on the cross and he beats death on the third day, now it comes into light and all of a sudden you see what the whole Bible is about. That's what he's claiming in his mystery. Let's keep going in verse 27. It says, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory and mystery. Again, Paul is saying, like, the Jew and Gentile are now together in Christ. That wasn't the case before in the Old Testament and goes towards what the mystery is. And then he says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what the mystery is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Another mark of maturity that Paul is driving these people to and should drive us to, part of maturing is growing in Christ. If that's the mystery, if you are in Christ, you need to push into that immaturity. Again, my wife and I were talking recently just about uh, our kids and one of them's getting ready to graduate next, next week and seeing his progression grow as an adult. And the junior high age is hard, right? Because you're starting to become an adult at some level. You're starting to break away from your parents and you're looking to somehow attach to some type of identity, right? Some of us identified as athletes and, and people that play sports. Some of us identified with being really smart and being in the honor roll. Some of us identified as uh, being in the plays and thespians or band. You're looking for some way to attach your identity to who you are. And it's so clear what Paul is telling us is as you grow and mature in Christ, your identity is found in him. It's not latched on to any other things. And if it is latched on, you need to unlatch it and latch yourself to who Jesus is in you, that you would find your identity, your worth, your being in Jesus. That's a sign of maturity as you grow. And it's really, really hard to do. And I don't know if you ever arrive, honestly. 
God just keeps exposing certain things to go, hey, you're finding your identity in here, and it's not me, and you need to stop that. It's the process of growth. What else does Paul say in maturity? Let's go jump back to verse 28. Paul is saying all these things. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, which he so powerfully works within me. There's a couple things in verse 20 that I want to highlight that I think are important. First, um, the, the second word in that verse is not I. In him I proclaim, but it's we. There's a plurality around what Paul is saying that, listen, I'm with Timothy, I'm with Epaphras, I'm with these people that are helping you move towards maturity. It's not just what I say, but it's collective wisdom to say, listen, we need to help you understand that. And then what he says is warning, teaching, and wisdom. Part of maturing, and if we're honest with ourselves, we do an honest evaluation of ourselves, are we understanding what it means to mature in those areas. I know warning is a tricky one for me. I don't know about you, especially in our culture. Because if somebody comes up and says, hey, I'm a little concerned about this in your life. What's your natural response to that? Oh, well, you just don't know. Like you, you don't know what's going on. You, like you just kind of write it off. And what Paul is saying is like, do you have the humility to hear warning? Or are you going to be an infant? Are you going to be adolescent? And you're just going to go, well, no. No, you just don't know. I can't believe you would even say that. And you're going to get defensive. Paul is saying a mature Christian understands warning. He's saying we want to warn you, we want to teach you, and we want to teach you with all wisdom. How is your heart posture towards being taught? It's even implicated that you don't know what you're doing to receive teaching. And then will you receive it with wisdom? Will you understand that the people that are helping warn you, that are helping teach you, that they actually have some wisdom, they've actually lived some life? I know for some of the conversations I've had with people in our community, outside of our community that are trying to walk with Jesus, they just assume, like, I've not done this for a while because it's pressing up against their way of life. And part of maturing is having humility. Like, are we people that have a posture of humility to hear warning, to hear teaching, to hear wisdom? Or do we go, you just don't know? If that's your posture, that's a problem. If you're trying to walk with Jesus, if you're trying to mature in him, you need to have a posture. It's not just from the church staff or the elders. It's from each other from people that you're doing life with, that you love, that care about you, and they want to step out and say something, which is even hard to step out and say something in our counter-cancel culture. It is. It's really challenging to go, you know what, like I'm seeing this in your life, and like it's concerning to me because I care about you. And so instead of being like, well, why are you on your high horse and being defensive, would you go, help me hear that? Where are you seeing that? How do I need to be aware of that? How do I need to correct that? Because in a posture of love, we need to do that with one another. And that's what Paul is saying to this church. So again, just as a reminder, part of maturing is living missionally. Part of maturing is learning the word. Part of maturing is knowing who you are and growing in Christ. And part of maturing is understanding how to receive warning, teaching with all wisdom and humility. And then verse 29, part of maturing is dependence on the Spirit. 
right? What is Paul saying in this verse? I love this verse. He's saying, listen, I'm toiling, I'm struggling with all whose energy in the text? With all his energy. And so part of maturing in the Christian faith is not depending on yourself, not depending on your wisdom, but depending on the wisdom of the Spirit. When somebody does come to warn you, when somebody does come to correct you, I hope their posture has been, God, do I need to say this right now? Do you want me to move into this space with this person? Like, I want to hear from you, not from my own flinches, but I want to hear what it means to love people well. And part of maturing is to listen to the spirit that works inside of you if you are a Christian. How are you doing at that in your maturity in the midst of living with other people? Let's jump into, as he continues in chapter 2, this is what Paul continues to say. He says, For I want to know how, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. Just so you know, Laodicea was uh, the next closest town over to Colossae. It was about nine miles apart. And so he's basically just saying, like, I love you, I love them, I love Glendale, I love Peoria. That's kind of what he's getting after in that statement. And he says, For all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches and full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom we are hidden in the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order in the firmness of your faith in Christ. What is Paul saying here in the end towards Maturity. I think what Paul is modeling for us is, again, what it means to be a good parent, right? If you're really a good parent, you want the best for your kids. Look at the elements involved in those five verses that Paul is going like, listen, I'm struggling. I'm struggling for you. You know in the room, if you're a parent, you do things for your kids that you're struggling so that they would be mature. He's struggling. He's absent, you can't be with your kids all the time, nor should you want to be with your kids all the time if you're a parent. You would know that. But there's moments where you're absent even in the midst of the struggle. He wants what's best for them. He wants their hearts to be encouraged. He wants them to have assurance of understanding. He doesn't want other people to lead them astray. Does that sound like a parent to you? I know this last weekend before I went on that retreat, my wife and I were in Atlanta doing a marriage conference. And late on Friday night, we got a call from our middle son, Logan, who's 17. I asked Logan if I could share this. He said it was okay. And he was coming back from a volleyball game. He plays volleyball for his high school, and they're a good team. And the last two games, uh, that being another game that night, he didn't play at all. He rode the bench. And he called us, and he was just really struggling. So it's three hours later. We're in our hotel room, it's one in the morning, and we're talking through what it means for our son to understand who he is. We're absent from him. We can't be face-to-face -face with him. And we hear him struggling. He's struggling, and some of what he's struggling with in his own language is like, man, I just, I know I'm loved, but I just don't feel loved. Like all my coaches are saying, it's so great, everybody needs a Logan, but then they don't put me in at all, and I just don't feel loved. And what are we doing in that moment as parents? 
do you know Logan? Everybody loves Logan. He's like a magnet to people. And one of his friends that he's close with, as he had conversation with him, I'm so thankful for, he goes, man, everybody loves you, Logan. But he's struggling in that moment. And we're going, look, dude, we're absent from you. We want your heart to be encouraged. We want you to understand who you are in Jesus. And we don't want anyone to lead you astray. Meaning the enemy would go, yeah, you're not loved. You're not getting playing time. And we want to go, Logan, you are loved. Even if you don't feel it right now in this moment. That's what we're trying to do as parents to help them understand. But it just breaks your heart. We're absent. We can't be there. We're trying to help them understand. And all we can do really is pray. And go, Logan, God has to meet you in this moment. We cannot do it for you. And this is what Paul is saying as you grow into maturity. One of the things we had a conversation, we were probably on the phone for like an hour with him, which again, we're so thankful that he wants to have that conversation. But we're like, Logan, what do you think the answer to this problem is? And he goes, I just have to work harder as an athlete to get on the floor. And some of that is true if you're not a hard worker, but Logan's a hard worker. And we're like, dude, it's not about working harder. It's about surrendering more. And surrendering, what is God trying to teach you in this moment by not playing? And that you are loved regardless if you play a minute or every single part of the game. And that's really hard as a parent. And this is what Paul is saying as he shepherds people from a distance. He's saying, you need to know who you are in Jesus. Don't believe those other lies. And again, he's going to get into it in the next part of the chapter. But know who you are in Christ, that you're loved, that you would be assured of that, that your hearts would be encouraged of that, that you would believe that because I'm not with you. And there's going to be other messages trending in the other direction. And for our maturity, we need to know who we are. So what does that look like for us practically as we move towards this? And what's the sixth and final idea of moving into maturity that Paul gives us? Look back at your Bibles. This is just so interesting in this phrase that, that Paul uses in verse 2. Let's read it again, part of verse 1. He just talks about the Lady Osea and, and for all who have not seen me face to face. They don't know I'm not here, I'm absent, that their hearts may be encouraged. And then he says, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of my understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. It's so interesting to me that Paul includes being knit together in love. Because if we read that verse back and we take that phrase out, it doesn't feel like you really miss anything. I mean, let's read it. He, again, he talks about uh, they haven't seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. You could read it that way, couldn't you? But he intentionally puts this phrase in here, I think, for us to help understand what does it actually mean to live maturity out. And Paul's audience lives in community. We don't understand that in our culture and our age because we don't live in community. We're so individualized. But there's a natural assumption that you are trying to work maturity out with other humans that you are around and not just leaving because of what they said and what they did. You're trying to work this out. And what is the key in working this out that you're knit together in love? That if you're not doing it with love, it will not work. You won't grow into maturity without love. And part of that love in the midst of being smashed into community with other people is understanding and learning what it means to forgive one another. 
We have to learn how to forgive one another in love or else we won't learn what it means to move towards maturity. We have to hear each other. We have to be able to say, I'm sorry that that happened. And we have to go, I forgive you and continue to have those types of conversations. Otherwise, the enemy is going to use that to bind us against one another. We have to go, we need to learn what it looks like to forgive, to be knit together in love. And part of that love is learning how to forgive. And honestly, the only way you can learn how to forgive and extend forgiveness is if you first receive forgiveness yourself. That you understand what Christ has done for you and in you and through you. And the only way to live in a community with love at the center, that would be the sixth thing, that part of maturing is learning to live in a community with love at the center. The only way you can do that is to have Jesus at the center. So as we close and we think through this idea of maturing what Paul is saying is I want to present everybody mature in Christ and you know maturity is hard work I'm laboring for you to become mature as we do a self-assessment of our spirituality and we look at these things these markers of maturity part of living in maturity is living missionally are you living on mission sharing with other people who Jesus is. The second part is part of maturing is learning the word. Are you creating space in your day to learn this word, to understand it and grow in it? Part of learning of maturity is growing in Christ, who you are positionally in Jesus, and you keep coming back to that. Part of maturing is understanding your posture towards warning and teaching and wisdom. Do you have humility in that? And part of maturing is depending on the spirit, moment by moment, everything going like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say how are you doing at that and part of maturing is learning to live in a community with love at the center how are we doing are we teenagers in the room are we infants if we're really honest with ourselves or are we going okay god you got to do it and i'm going to lean into those areas that the gospel is saying are true of me found in jesus and i'm not going to run the other way when it gets uncomfortable that's for all of us. Because when we start to do that, God will change us and he will grow us into the people we're called to be. Let's be those types of people. Let's pray. Father, we recognize this is not in any way, shape, or form our, our own effort. We can't pull our bootstraps up and grow and mature apart from you apart from what you've done for us, apart from your spirit working in and through us, apart from community helping us and coming alongside us, being knit together in love, we need each other. We don't want to be entitled, dependent, apart from you. God, would you help grow us? And just as Paul is building credibility for his argument of things he's going to correct in the further pages, would you help us hear that correction from your word, from each other? I pray that you would help us understand what it means to live missionally, what it means to learn your word, what it means to be rooted in you, in our identity, what it means to have humility to hear warning and teaching wisdom, what it means to depend on your spirit moment by moment, and what it means to live in a community with love at the center with you. Jesus at the center. We need you to do all of that. We cannot do it on our own. Help us labor as Paul does and meet us in that labor. We ask that you would do it this morning. 
you would change us, challenge us, meet us for your glory, for your sake. We pray in your name. Amen.